This is Alicia, and welcome to the College Life Podcast. I am super passionate about education, personal development, growth, and bringing out the best in every college student. This podcast will help motivate you, empower you, and bring you clarity and confidence in who you are, in your purpose, and help you take action toward a life you love. Don't wait until you graduate to live your best life. Let's start now. Welcome to the College Life Podcast. It's Alicia here, and today I am interviewing Stephen Heath, who is a certified public accountant, an instructor, and also is the author of the book, Your Financial Path community college to fuck you money, a textbook dedicated to helping community college students achieve financial security for life. And I cannot wait to get into this. And in case you didn't notice, we may curse a lot in this episode. So just a heads up on that. So today, Stephen, tell us a little bit more just about kind of where you're at right now and what you're working on, and then we'll go into your college journey. But first, just who are you and then where are you at right now in life? Absolutely. Well, I want to start just by thanking you for giving me the space to be on your show. I'm a big fan, and so I'm super excited to be here. Um, uh, Where I'm at at the moment, so I teach accounting and finance classes at a community college in San Mateo, California. Um, I've been teaching here at the College of San Mateo for about five to six years now. Um, reached out kind of organically to one of the instructors, uh, expressed an interest in in teaching one class. And I taught one class my first semester and absolutely fell in love with it. And I found myself to be a full-time instructor the following year. And so I've been here full-time instructor for like the last five to six years. I love it. I love it. That's great. And so what did you do before teaching? So before teaching, that that's a long story. Um, but the hot the highlights are I was a certified public accountant. I worked in a small sliver of the accounting profession where I provided expert witness testimony in sort of high stakes commercial litigation. So we we would a team of us would provide expert testimony on finance and accounting and valuation issues, economic damages, and so forth related to like commercial litigation did a lot of international work uh worked in paris and brussels and the hague and worked on cases in mongolia lithuania had a had a great career i i loved every minute of it it was just a little stressful and uh, a little intense and took up a lot of time and and i felt like i needed to do something a little bit more rewarding which is sort of why i transitioned from accounting or private accounting valuation work into teaching. Teaching is a much easier profession. <laughs> easy in some ways, challenging in others, but it's, it's, it's easy. And like all the things that I, f- I feel like are challenging seem to be kind of in my wheelhouse. So I, I feel like I've, this is what I was, as scary as it sounds, this is kind of what I was born to do is to be an accounting instructor at a community college. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I think that that kind of lends itself to being on a podcast, right? So you can share your knowledge with more people. So I love it. Well, as tradition on the College of Life podcast, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your college journey. So tell us a little bit about 
what was it like in college and for you? And what are some memorable moments or lessons that you've learned? So, yeah, so college for me is kind of like a three, like I have three different phases, uh, actually probably even four, if I remember to even bring up the fourth one. But, you know, my, my college journey started late in life. I was 22 when I first attended college. Um, I dropped out of high school when I was 16, uh, stopped attending school when I was 16. And, and then I moved out of my parents' house because I wasn't going to live under their house and not go to school. And so conveniently, I, I was like, yeah, well, I'm leaving, leaving the house as well. So I, I left the house in high school at a very, very early age. And you don't do that without getting into a fair amount of trouble. So I, uh, I got into a good amount of trouble, uh, was arrested a number of times. By 18, I was arrested and uh, uh, charged with some pretty serious offenses related to uh, drug use, drug possession, and intent to sell. Uh, fortunately for me, the charges were dropped and I sort of sobered up and kind of bounced around for a while. And when I was 22, uh, a guy that I was working for, a landscaper, encouraged me to take a horticulture class at a local community college. Um, he thought that it would be a good idea to learn a little bit about some of the, the, uh, the aspects of the profession. And so I didn't have any experience with, with school. I had very limited experience, I should say, with school. He sent me to De Anza College, which is, which is a community college in California where I grew up and super intimidated. I drove to the campus and was so intimidated I didn't even get out of the car. I just went back to work the next day and was like, ah, class has already started, came up with an excuse. So he sent me to another school and I was equally intimidated at the second school. And then he sent me to a third community college. And, and by that time, I was confident enough to at least walk into the admissions office. And uh, I walked in, told the, uh, the individual what I was looking to do. And, and their response was, well, you didn't graduate from high school and we don't really know where you fit in in the process. So why don't you take a placement test and, and uh, we'll see where you end up and, and then we'll take it from there. So no surprise, I did terrible on the placement test. And so San Jose City College recommended that I take like a rudimentary math class where I literally learned how to add and subtract fractions. And then they encouraged me to take an English class where I was able to form complete sentences and learn how to write topic sentences and develop a paragraph. So I begrudgingly took those two classes at night um, in, the, in the thought that I would take those two classes and then transition into the horticulture class the following semester. And it was that first semester where I had this huge epiphany that I was landscaping during the day and going to school at night, which were like two of the things that I hated most in life. Uh, so, so I, you know, gave some thought to like where I was heading and why I was going to school. And I thought, wow, you know, I really like math. The math class I was taking was really enjoyable. Um, I was felt like I was doing pretty good. And so I thought, wow, I'll take an accounting class the next semester. So I took an accounting class the next semester. 
And I actually really liked it. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I, you know, kind of struggled through the course a little bit, but I actually didn't do too bad. I got to be in the class and, and felt like it was something interesting. And so I took a, another accounting class the following semester. And it was in that class that the instructor um, sort of, I had a, probably a 15 to 20 minute conversation with the instructor that changed the rest of my life. So he uh, pulled me, didn't pull me aside, but we sort of kind of uh, ran into each other walking out of class. And he asked just casually, why are you taking the class? What are your plans? And I really had, you know, a, not a well-developed plan. I thought maybe I would transfer to a, a local state school and possibly major in accounting, but it was so early on in the process. And was still really kind of unclear on where I was headed. And so in that conversation, he suggested, well, you know, have you ever given some thought to go into the University of California, Berkeley? And my quick response was no, because, because that's where all the smart people go. And I'm a high school dropout and I'm barely struck, you know, I'm barely making it through these accounting classes at night. Uh, Berkeley just didn't seem like, um, an option. And so in that conversation, he said, well, you, you, you know, you, maybe you don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe you are cut out for Cal and why not you just go up to the campus and talk to the admissions office. It was literally the same conversation I had a year earlier with my boss. I was having another conversation with somebody who was pushing me a little bit out of my comfort zone. Um, so I, to make a long story short, went to Cal, spoke to the admissions office, um, and they gave me a list of classes that I needed to take. And if I did well enough in those classes, they would consider me for admission as a junior transfer. And so I kind of set out on this journey to get into Cal as a high school dropout. And a lot of the people that I spoke to early on in that process sort of laughed. The same way that I laughed when when the when the idea was first posed to me and and I just sort of like became obsessed with this idea that I was going to get into Cal as a business major and and so I spent four years at San Jose City College working my way through all of the prerequisites and the transfer courses submitted an application for admission. Um, got accepted crazy enough and then i <laughs> then i started to really freak out because i got accepted at cal and i was convinced that's where all the smart kids went and i i just i didn't feel like i belonged there so i transferred to cal um extremely hesitant and and nervous about my kind of position on campus and my abilities compared to you know, everybody else that was there. And, you know, I, I struggled. It was an adjustment. Um, the four-year universities are more rigorous, and I think they expect more out of you than community college. So my transition was, you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't painless, but I did fine. Um, I feel like I had a secret weapon that a lot of community college students have, which is we have a story to tell. We you know, if you make it to the four year 
level, you sort of overcome a tremendous amount of obstacles. Like my obstacles are very unique to me and different than most of my students, but they were obstacles nonetheless. And so when I sat down for job interviews, I felt like I was telling a story that, that employers really found appealing, right? I was resilient, um, hardworking, dedicated, uh, didn't feel like things were owed to me and I didn't feel entitled. And, and I think that was something that resonated during the job interviews. And so I'd landed some really, really high powered jobs straight out of Cal. And so in a nutshell, that's kind of like the high, you know, I, I know I spent quite a bit of time talking about my, my journey, but I feel like that's probably in a nutshell, the, the, high, the highlights of my college journey. Oh, so, so good. And there's so much things that I feel like are, are relevant to the audience and like that we could pull from and pull out. Uh, but there's a, just a couple of things that I wanted to zoom in on a little bit more and highlight. Uh, and I think the first thing that I took away from your story is just how important other people are in our journey for better or for worse, right? Because you probably, you had those two people that you remember and they stood out to you, right? Because they kind of challenged you a little bit to think Oh, maybe I could do more. Maybe I could do right, do something um, better. So specifically, your boss that encouraged you to take the class, and then the instructor that you know kind of took you aside and said, "Hey, like, what are your goals? What are you working on? Um, and and potentially, could you train right? Like, looking to transfer um, to the school that you never thought was even possible. I mean, it just expands what we think is possible. And I think so many students struggle to see that in themselves, but they sometimes need it from another person and or to, to, to see it or pull it out. Right. I just think that that's beautiful. And I'm sure that you do that as an instructor now. Uh, but it's like, I see potential everywhere. Like every person I meet, every student I meet, I'm just like, you are amazing. You have so much potential and you don't see it. And I see it all the time in, in people and other humans. And yeah, anyway, I just feel like that's just, it's just so powerful. Yeah. I mean, so I heard somebody say something at on my campus a few years ago, which was he he had a, a similar story to mine, and he was his his conclusion was that people believed in him at a time when he didn't necessarily believe in himself, and it's just like that was like such a profound statement to me on so many levels, which was in hindsight you know, I did mention two individuals that were influential in my journey, but there were so many others. Uh, a calculus instructor at community college and then a finance instructor at Cal. Um, I, 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 I was lucky enough to be surrounded by people that really cared about my journey and cared about um, elevating me and my journey. And, and so I, do my best to, to be that same individual on my campus now, which is, you know, I, I totally agree with you that like the potential of most college students goes way beyond what they think they're capable of, especially at the community college level when, you know, the students just have obstacles that are unique to community college students and, and don't really appreciate that the obstacles and the ability to overcome those obstacles with resources available to them are what create like these really, really significant and attractive uh, qualities that the world is looking for. 
And so, yeah, I, I 100% believe in the mentor mentoring and the power of mentoring and, and how it kind of forms that the journey of college and so forth. For sure. And I think the opposite is true too, right? Where there's still people who work in education who should not be working in education because (laughs) they, right. They think students don't care. Students aren't capable. They think they're whatever it is. Right. And that's not the type of education environment that is set up for students, right, period, but especially students at the community college. And so, you know, if you're at a community college right now, you have to, or any, really any college, you have to find the people who are encouraging you, who are pushing you. And sometimes those are hard people to be around because they will reflect something, sometimes things that you don't want to hear or see because they're going to push you, they're going to challenge you, right, (laughs) to be better. But those are the people that you want to be around, right? Those are the people that are going to help you get to where you want to be, even when you need the reminders and and it's challenging. So yeah, I love that. And I also just want to acknowledge too, like your story, I mean, and, and just so much that you have overcome. It's amazing. And I'm so glad that you're sharing your story in the podcast and just in other avenues too because more students need to hear that, that, okay, maybe I'm in a lot of shit right now, right? I'm I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. I'm going through it, but there's ways that you can overcome it. Right. And, and it might take longer than what the traditional, and I say that in quotes because that's crap too, but it might take longer than what is anticipated, but it's like taking the next step and then taking the next step. And that's exactly what you did at first, right? You were like, okay, I'm going to drive to campus, but I'm not going to go in, (laughs) right? And then you're going to drive to campus again. And then you're going to drive to campus again. Then finally you go in, right? And it's like, keep just pushing yourself, right? In small ways. And if that's what it has, if if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Um, Yeah. 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 No, I, I can react a, a thousand ways to what you were just saying, which is, I tell students all the time that big success is just nothing more than a series of small steps. And sometimes you just need to step back and appreciate the fact that it's not going to all happen overnight. You need to be patient and you need to be motivated to get through. Like nobody really wants to do homework on a Sunday afternoon when it's sunny outside. And so you can't just let your immediate emotions dictate like when you're going to get stuff done. You've, you, you're not going to be successful unless you see or have a vision of kind of the bigger picture and, and how homework on a Sunday afternoon kind of leads into, you know, a better grade on paper, a better grade on paper could lead to a better understanding of the material, which will have, you know, an impact on your ability to do well on a midterm. And then the ability to do well on a midterm will lead to a better grade in that particular class and a better grade in that particular class will make your, that semester's GPA, that quarter's GPA a little bit better. And, and it's just the, the profound impact that small acts have on the process is something that I think a lot of students don't totally appreciate, which I think they should. Um, and then another thing is, I, yeah, I definitely share my story and, and I may have left off some of the, the, the more embarrassing aspects of, you know, my 18 year old uh, arrest record. But I do that like in my classes and maybe I'm even doing it now in this in this context to really give pe- people or students a sense as to like where I started from. And, you know, if I was able to start from where I was, which is generally much 
lower than most of my students then and and then finish kind of where I finished not only where I transferred off to school but the jobs that I had straight out of college and then the career that I had and then the ability to retire at kind of a, an earlier age than normal um I I think I, I share my story because it's just a way to kind of knock down look I'm not here to try to sell you anything other than let's try to you know, enrich your life in some meaningful way. And if I could be a part of that, I more power to, to, to the process. Mm, oh, yes. And oh gosh, I want to talk so much more about your college experience, but I want to now transition because that's such a good transition into <laughs> this book that you wrote and this thing that you're really passionate about. And I just think that you're the financial aspect, especially for first gen students, students from low income backgrounds, right? Um, I'm first gen. I also um, was kind of low and then kind of went to middle income towards my high school. And uh, anyway, and then my parents got a divorce and lots of things. But I feel like the, the financial aspect is so confusing unless you study it. Right. And I wish I would have honestly studied <laughs> business right. and money because I did not understand that piece of it. Right. Um, and I've had to do so much work on my own end and try to meet people like you and other like friends. And I'm like, are you, you're investing? How do you invest? And just, it's just so ambiguous, the whole financial aspect, but it's also so powerful when you actually have the education to be able to choose. So I'm so excited to hear, like, let's learn more. I want to hear more <laughs> about first off, what is fuck you money? What does that mean to you? And then like, what kind of inspired you to write this book? Got it. Yeah. Well, uh, fuck you money is sort of like folklore and in, in finance it's like this it's this thing that a lot of people will talk about you know and it's it's rarely ever talked about in books although the concepts are like in every book and so it you know I tell the story about like what fuck you money is to me you know I learned it from a guy that I worked for years ago, uh, we were in literally in The Hague working on a case and he's a PhD in economics. He taught at the Chicago School of Economics and he had wrote papers that were in uh, cited in Nobel Prize writings. And, and so this guy was, I mean, he his nickname was the Godfather. I mean, this guy was, he was, he was the guy. And he asked me, hey, have you ever heard about fuck you money? And I thought, wow, <laughs> no, I've never, I've never heard the term and I've never heard of it. And he, he was saying, yeah, you know, I was just talking to an associate on the team from one of the, with one of the law firms we were working on. And so somebody probably 24 or 25 taught this PhD economist what fuck you money was. And then he passed it on to me a few hours later. And, and in a nutshell, this is kind of what it is. Um, you work, you invest, and you accumulate wealth. And you do that to the extent to where your interests that you earn on your wealth. So let's just assume you've accumulated through your investments, you've accumulated $2 million of wealth and you have $2 million of wealth invested in the market and the market on average is generating a 10% return for you. Um, 
that means without really doing anything, you get to a point in life where your money is making money for you. And in this particular example, if you have $2 million of wealth and you're earning a 10% return, you're essentially earning before tax $200,000 a year, right? And so you're earning $200,000 a year doing nothing. However, you're sitting at work and you're working and your boss comes into your office and and asks, hey, or doesn't ask, but tells you, hey, you need to work this weekend and you really need to do it right. And I really want to make sure that, that you do not stop working until it's absolutely right. And then leaves. And so you're sitting in your office or you're sitting at home now and you're thinking, man, do I really want to work this entire weekend? Or do I not want to work? And if you're making $200,000 doing nothing and your boss tells you that you have to work the weekend, there's sometimes only one appropriate response to your boss, which is, <laughs> fuck you money. And so that is essentially, again, it's just like, it's, it's nothing more than in our discussion, sound investing strategies coupled with compound interest, to the point where you make enough money where your investments are earning enough return to cover your annual expenses. And so it's like, it's taking basically a, a pretty standard traditional concept and just repackaging in a way that makes some students stop and think, hey, that's kind of funny or that's kind of cool. And, and so that's essentially the story behind the name of the book. And man, I have had so many conversations about whether it makes sense to have swear words in the title and if there's asterisks that we could use to make it a little less abrasive. And why would you ever write a book that you put a swear word on the title and then you give it away for free? Are you crazy? But I sort of feel like, you know, I wrote the book for, for my students. Uh, and this is, you know, this is the way that I relate to my students in the classroom. And so I figured, you know what, I'm just going to be authentic and, and be myself and, and continue to do what I think, you know, I want to do. And since I self-published it and, and have paid to have it edited, I sort of feel like I have the right to put as many swear words on the front cover as I want to. <laughs> so anyway, that's the story behind the, the, the title of the book. The reason I wrote it, um, is that I just had, like when I first started teaching, I had so many conversations with students about their decisions about like the thought process behind where they wanted to transfer off to a four-year university. And most often than not, it was always, look, I'm gonna go to a, a local state school because it's the lowest cost option. And that was basically the mindset. And it just really got frustrating to the point where, look, that, that's a fine, that could be the right decision for a lot of my students, but that shouldn't be the entire analysis. Like you really need to look at the benefits associated with the college um, because the benefits could outweigh the cost. And so in some sense, it may be worth pursuing or at least entertaining the idea of going to a more expensive college if that more expensive college actually becomes less expensive for you personally given your economic background and then not only is is the perceived more expensive school less expensive for you 
but that more expensive school actually also provides more opportunities for you. So it could be higher earning power when you graduate. It could be a better selection of schools that recruit on campus. It could be a better graduation rate, which means that you will actually finish and, and get out of that four-year university at a faster rate than you would at some of the lower cost options. It could be that the instructors that you interact with spend more time mentoring, which is a huge, huge aspect of the college experience. It could be that you're given the opportunity to work on projects that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to do at a, at a less expensive college. And, and so I, I had that conversation with so many students and it was so frustrating that I never really felt like there was one particular spot that I, or a treatise or paper or resource that I could point students to that kind of address that issue. So that was the first set of conversations I would have. And then the second set of conversations that I would have that would drive me nuts were, hey, what do you think about investing in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin? And what do you think about GameStop? And, and it's like, all that stuff is great, but you have to do it in the context of like, like if you really are gonna go and invest, like, you know, I encourage you to, to take risks and, and do what you think is right. But you should also, again, tackle that idea of investing kind of the right way. And you should know everything there is to know about investing. And, you know, young individuals can take the time to invest wisely and take on less risk because they have more time. And so they don't need to spend all of their money on GameStop and Bitcoin and and cryptocurrency. And, and so I just, I, I would have that conversation with students over and over and over again. And again, it was like, man, my students really should have a resource to go to so that they at least know the options and, and are able to weigh, you know, the get rich quick schemes and how risky they are with the more sound, traditional, less attractive, investing strategies that just take longer to to get to where you want to want to go so i was like okay those two things i need i need to start writing or i i i sort of want to start writing uh, a paper that i could just send to students and then as i started writing those two sections i was like okay i might as well just write the rest of it right i might as well just do the credit card stuff and the risk of getting into debt with credit cards and then talk about student loans and go into how do you buy a first car and then what's a 401k and how do you save for retirement and budgeting and so I just figured that you know what I'm just going to tackle the whole thing and and I'm going to do it and I'm going to give it away for free because you know I've kind of like I wouldn't say that I'm super wealthy. In fact, I wouldn't even say I'm really that wealthy, but I feel like I'm doing well enough now and I've, I've made my money and I don't really need to profit off of my students. So I'm gonna write the book and I'm gonna give it to them for free.
Yeah, I love that so much. And oh my gosh, there's so much here. And I think one of the things that I feel like just is resonating with me right now is that just knowledge is power. You know, like when you have the knowledge, you're able to make better decisions, right? Absolutely. You may not always make the right decisions, right? <laughs> Oftentimes we still don't, but off, but at least we are an informed decision maker versus not doing anything because we just don't understand it. And I think that that prevented me for a while from starting my own business and all of these things, because I just did not understand the money side and, and some of the logistics around that. But I just feel like when you have financial resources. And so if you're a student listening right now, you know, think about your background. Some of you have had access to financial resources your entire time growing up. And then some of you did not have access, right? Or, and a lot of you are somewhere in between as well. And what money does for you, not only as you grow up, but just your mindset and your perspective is that it expands opportunities and possibilities. When you have less resources, specifically financially, it limits what you think is possible and what you're capable of, which is so it, 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 it's not just about, or it challenges what you're a bit, what you think you're able to do. Right. And it's just, it's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, and again, I could, I can react a thousand different ways to what you were just saying, but you know, I, I would, it, not understanding the right approach and being overwhelmed or intimidated by the, the idea of investing or your finances you know, like it's really, really easy to get paralyzed with fear and, and like, wow, I really need to, like, I really need to learn, you know, all sorts of stuff before I get started. And, and in reality, like it's, it's super easy. Like you can do 20% of the work you can get to like 80% of the right things to do. Right. So very little effort can get you like significantly down the road. And, and the little bit of effort is just choosing to pay yourself first. So you, when you get a paycheck, you'll often hear about, you know, budgeting and saving money. Well, a real simple way to get started is to just say, okay, look, before I even spend anything or try to budget my finances, I'm just going to take, you know, 5% of my paycheck and I'm going to put it into a mutual fund. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to do that. And if I can get to the end of the month and I still have money left over, then the next month I'm going to try to do 7%. And the goal is to really take, get to the point where you can take 15% of your paycheck, your pre-tax paycheck or 15% of your income and invest in, you know, mutual funds or invest or uh, investment funds and stock index and stock indices things that are very easy to find, you can do it on your phone and, and just doing that consistently. Again, you're like, you're doing 80% of the work and 20% of the time. Then if you really wanted to get really sophisticated and make sure you're really doing things the right way, then we can have the comfort, a more complex conversation about you know, where you are specifically. But again, maybe I'll, I'll preface with, Avoid credit card debt. And if you do have credit card debt, you just want to pay that off immediately. Before you do anything else, that's pretty much standard operandum. Get rid of your credit card debt and avoid getting into credit card debt. 
then you take 15 percent of your income and you invest in mutual funds or index funds and that's that's like if you could just do that consistently you you can create a lot of damage real fast yeah but even you're saying this and like how do students even get started in a mutual fund like is that they have to call uh, agency or like a company and right and I think some of that is so it feels so adult yeah <laughs> even even for me and I am a full adult at this point <laughs> <laughs> and you're still like what the heck is that okay so let's back up a couple of steps so 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 you so the idea so to be like a to be a a really good investor you want to avoid putting all your eggs in one basket you, you want to make sure that, you know, you don't want to be the individual who invests in some company and that company like implodes and, and goes to zero and you lose all your money. You don't want to be that individual. Okay. And the only way, no matter what anybody says, the only way to avoid that certainty is to just invest in as many different companies as you possibly can. And they call that diversification. The more that you spread your money across multiple companies, the more safe it is. So like you can, you, you know, you can take 10 or 20 companies and one of them can like implode and go to zero and it could lose all its money. And look, you still have nine or 19 other companies that you're invested in. And presumably those nine or 19 other companies, they can do really well, or they won't at least do as bad as anybody else. So the, the first general rule about, you know, like after you are able to get rid of your credit card debt and after you're able to invest 15% of your income, the idea is that you just want to like invest in as many different companies as possible. And so it that's an expensive process. Like you can't invest in Apple and Tesla and Amazon, like the stock prices are just astronomically high. So what you do is you invest in these funds, which are you buy, you can take $100, you can take $15, you can take $5 of your own money, and you can invest it in this fund. And that fund takes your five $1,500. And it spreads it across all of those companies. And so that's what a mutual fund is, or that's what an index fund is. And then how do you gain access to it? Man, it is so easy to do that these days, right? So the Robin Hoods and all of the uh, mobile apps that help you gain access to the stock market. Most of those apps will have um, mutual funds or stock index funds to, to choose from. And, and so you just go through and, you know, if you, if you want to be just a generalist, you can find a general fund through Robin Hood, the, the investing app, or if you want to, invest maybe in a, a handful of energy companies and a handful of high-tech companies. There's all sorts of different subcategories of, of these funds that you can invest in, but, but gaining access to them um, is really, really simple these days. I think if you just did a quick Google search on Robinhood or again, any of the other mobile apps that are out there, you should be able to set up an account and gain access. And then again, like I think the, the, a lot of anxiety comes with 
well, who do I, you know, what index fund or what mutual fund should I invest in? Which one's better than another? And I think, you know, if you really wanted to get started, I would just go with like the, in fact, I even still do it. The vast majority of my investments are just in general S&P 500 index funds, which they just basically track the entire market. And so you can do a Google search on S&P 500 mutual fund or index fund and load, you know, go to NerdWallet or Robinhood or Acorn and download an app on your phone and, and you can do it very unsophisticated in a very unsophisticated way. And then if you want to be a little bit more sophisticated and open up an account somewhere, you can choose to go to a, a more traditional bank like Fidelity or Wells Fargo and you can set up a, a brokerage account to put your money in. But again, we're, we're getting into like the weeds and the specifics of how you physically do it. But I think I really want to step back and say, look, the first step is, is I promise you, you can do a, a lot of good by just taking 15% of your income and investing in an in a index fund or a mutual fund. And then specifically how you would do that I promise you it's like a 15 minute exercise. If you were to just Google, how do I buy a mutual fund or how do I buy an index fund? The internet can teach you that within 15 minutes. And hey, you can even download my book for free. And I have a chapter entirely dedicated to that process. Um, And again, my book is free to everybody, uh, regardless of whether you're a college student or not, I think a lot of the chapters make sense for just about anybody listening to this. And, and so you can get a free copy at professorheath.com. And again, I have a chapter that goes through how you would get started and so forth, but I promise it's not quite as bad as you might think it is. Well, yeah. And I think if you're really interested in this, right, this is a great um, starter space. And, and the way that you have it organized is really, I think, user-friendly. It's for people who are like, I want to learn more about this topic around, you know, the financial aspect. And I can like really hone in on that one chapter. Yeah. And then if you're curious, right, a student can go and look at YouTube and all these other like areas, right? And I do think you have to be careful. There are some like money schemes out there, right? Of like invest in <laughs> this and you're going to write like be wealthy in 10 days or whatever it is. And that's, that's also one thing, like, I also want to just demystify here pretty much like most people do not generate wealth or success, like wealth or success, like almost never comes quickly, but because of social media, it appears like it does. And so I just want to (laughs) like, yeah, like remind students of that. And even with this podcast, like I have been doing this for four years and I'm trying to understand what does success look like for me because I eventually want to monetize, but I don't know if I really care either. Right. Like, like anyway, I just want to get some of the stuff content out to students. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like, it's like a long game, you know, but I've seen downloads increase and I'm seeing more like, you know, people are still listening to episode one and two, which are horrible, but <laughs> it's, but anyway, it's like, it takes a long time to, to yeah. get to that success yeah. and to the and to generate wealth. And so, yeah. but it's that those small little acts over time that build. It's a, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an element of human nature that's been around since the cavemen probably. 
which is nobody really wants to do the 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 necessary work to to become successful everybody kind of wants a quick fix and an easy strategy and a secret tip and and hey i've got this secret idea and so the i'll just say like i i feel like I was educated. I got a great degree from a great school. I'm certified public accountant. I have like a deep expertise in valuing companies. I, I spent 25 years of my life dedicated to valuing companies. And I, I absolutely 100% would never pick a company to invest in. I, I just, it, it's so risky. And for anybody to, to, to come to you and say, hey, listen, this is a foolproof plan, they are absolutely 100% either lying or they have no idea what they're talking about. So like, if you want to get rich, you get rich slow and steady. And if you want to do something quickly, usually the only thing you can do quickly is, is lose your money, right? And I think you're right that you will have a lot of success stories like somebody will will accidentally buy GameStop or or hear about GameStop at the very beginning and make hundreds of thousands of dollars on the fact that GameStop stock price you know quadruples in a week like you will definitely hear those stories but there's not a lot of people sharing their stories about <laughs> how they bought GameStop at the top and then they lost half of their investment in a week. People don't like sharing those stories. And, and I, I would say, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but I would say for every one success story, there's probably a hundred, you know, horror stories on the other, other side. And honestly, if, I mean, it's like dieting or working out or, getting an education. I think, you know, it's difficult. Yeah, it's, it's one thing to understand what you need to do to lose weight. Like I'm guilty of it more so than anybody, but it's another thing to actually say no to the French fries and say no to the ice cream. It it's, that's unfortunately the way you lose weight is, is you have to be disciplined and dedicated over a significant amount of time. You have to make it kind of a lifestyle and building wealth is is sort of the same thing. Again, it does. It's definitely not complicated. It's super super straightforward. The problem is is that it requires dedication, discipline, and time. And a lot, not a lot of people are are really ready or willing to to do that for themselves. And it's those of us that you know. I, I fortunately learned. Uh, the power of compound interest and how investing at an early age kind of benefits benefits you late in life. I, I learned that at a really young age and I just started employing that. So like, I, did, I don't even think I had to go to school. I could have just as easily gotten a job in some, I could have continued to be a landscaper. And had I continued to be a landscaper and employed those sound financial uh, habits, I would have probably been just as successful as I am now. Of course, it made it a lot easier that my earning power was substantially more because I invested in my education. Um, having more resources available to you to dedicate to, you know, investing and so forth and reducing your debt, I think helps. But like the slow and steady grind is the way that 
most of us, I think, accumulate wealth. Yeah, and I think whenever I was in college, I this conversation would have scared me because I'm like, I want to invest, but ah, and it is like just learn a little bit and start somewhere. Start small, set aside. I love that your idea between five and fifteen percent. Just start where you can, because um, I know at one point I was making so little money that yeah, even setting aside $50 a month felt too much. Like it was like, oh, but looking back now and, and especially what I know about like long-term investing with like Roth IRAs and that kind of thing, which I know you talk about in the books, if you're interested, like that's the one thing I would be like, oh, I wish I would have done or known about or understood more. Cause I did have a, a friend who told me to do it when I was like 26. Yeah. And I was like, I don't have that money. You know, I don't yeah. have extra money to do it. And I wish I would have like put a 50 bucks, right. Or a hundred bucks a month. And it just like, it didn't seem possible. And again, that's the money mindset piece here too, that is really challenging for people, especially who did not grow up around money. It can be really challenging to, to change that mindset. And so start small in some way. And, and I think just keep learning, right. Keep kind of coming to conversations like this, like read this book, um, that Stephen has written, uh, come back to it right again and again and keep, you know, being curious and asking some questions. Yeah. A hundred percent. I would say, I would say be proactive and, and choose to invest in yourself rather than somebody else. Like every time you spend your money on a product or you go to Starbucks or you go to Target and you buy something or you go to the movies or, you know, you, whatever you do, you're spending money, you're investing in somebody else's big plan and you're not investing in your own plan and so like I try to tell my students like you should invest in yourself like you are the individual that you should be spending money on and and so you know even if it's $50 a month or $100 a month getting started early and learning how to do it is like three quarters of what you need to be doing like the vast majority of people that don't hit their financial goals don't hit their goals because they failed to get started or they failed to act. And so even if you're young and you don't feel like you have a lot of money, just the idea of getting used to setting aside some amount of money is like a huge win for you. And the the idea that you're not really setting aside money, I mean, you are, but you're, you're, you're investing in yourself rather than somebody else's master plan. And I think for me, that's something that I think would have resonated if somebody told me, Hey, investing is, is a way to contribute to your own dreams rather than somebody else's dreams, I think is, is a, is a interesting way to, to phrase this idea of investing. Yeah. I I mean, I just remember getting uh, an, uh, my first retirement investment type thing where I, you know, I was my first full-time job, I like was forced quote unquote to contribute to my retirement and, you know, I maxed out whatever I could. Um, I remember I did that because it was my first paycheck. So I wouldn't realize, realize it. (laughs) And, um, but I remember getting the statements and just seeing the money grow. And I was like, what is this? I, it, it makes no sense to me, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) but like, yeah, anyway, it was like, it was, it was really exciting and, and energizing for me. Um, but at that time I was, uh, like 27 or, or I guess 26, maybe, um, after, no, I guess I was 24 anyway. Uh, yeah. I just, 
so I, I was able to start early, but I only was there for three years. And it, and then I got a job that didn't invest in retirement. I didn't do that. Right. So there's just like all these different kind of components to it, but I just remember seeing that and not really quite understanding it, but you don't have to, it's just putting a little bit of money away and kind of seeing it grow over time is really exciting too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, again, like it's really easy to get caught in the weeds and it's really easy to start getting super confused. But again, I think you, if you just stick to like, you know, especially for college students, stick to like three or four of the high level things, you know, like you want to invest in your earning power, which is why presumably you're going to college. Right. Most of the finance textbooks, they talk about how to save money and how to reduce costs and so forth. But very little is kind of dedicated to the idea of really maximizing your earning power. And that's something that you really want to explore while you're in college, like choose your career that'll, you know, you don't have to choose a career that will make the most money, but you need to choose a career that will make you the happiest or it'll be the most rewarding. But that's, I think, first thing, you really want to pay attention to your earning power. And I have chapters dedicated to, you know, what's the right way to approach college so that you maximize, you know, your job and, and where you start your career. That's step one. Step two is, is you just want to make sure you avoid high interest credit card debt. You just want to stay away from it at all possible. And it's difficult. I got into my own trouble in college, um, investing in somebody else's plan. I just started racking up credit card bills and I had to learn the hard way, unfortunately. And so again, you want to avoid it. And if it's too late, you want to get rid of it as soon as possible before you do anything else. So invest in your earning power in college, get rid of your credit card debt or avoid it altogether, and then get on that path of five to 15% and just find a, a, an index fund or mutual fund that you, you find attractive and just start putting your money in there and just make it a habit. And then again, Roth IRAs and retirement accounts and contribution limits and what are employer sponsored retirement accounts like all of that is like, you know, super deep into the weeds that you can spend the rest of your life really trying to figure out. And you can get to, you know, obviously, the older you get, the more sophisticated you're going to want to be. But for a college student, it's really, really simple. It's just invest in yourself, like take your serious, take your time at college seriously, avoid credit card debt. And then as soon as you can try to set aside five to 15% of your income to a mutual fund or a stock index fund, and you're off and running. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for making that simple. And just for joining us here today, um, where can people find you and how can people access the book? So, uh, I, so I teach at the college of San Mateo, my email address here on campus is H-E-A-T-H-S at smccd.edu. So Heath S at smccd.edu. And then I have a website that I created that is basically a distribution channel for the book. So if you want a free copy, a free digital copy of the textbook, you can go to Professor Heath dot com and that's heath like the candy bar h e a t h so again professorheath.com uh, and then 
I think the third avenue would be if you wanted a physical textbook, you can go to Amazon and buy a physical copy of the textbook. Unfortunately, Amazon charges us printing fees and they want their royalty as well. So I think the book is like $39 on Amazon uh, if you wanted a physical copy. And I'll just end with, I really wouldn't read or I wouldn't set out to read the, the book from front to back. Um, it's more of a, a, a no nonsense or no bullshit resource that really takes all of the significant things that you're gonna face in your lifetime and really presents, I think, the bare basics or the bare bones of what you should know right now related to those issues. And so again, it's a resource and it's a, it's a no nonsense resource and it's free and it's written for college students. So yeah. I love it. I love it so much. And I'll make sure all of those are listed in the show notes so you can click on it super easy. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I know that students are just going to get so much out of this conversation. And I love that you broke it down just in those simple ways. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Thanks for listening to the College Life Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening and have an excellent week.